Welcome to Think Digital Futures, where we tell you stories from the digital age. I'm Lawrence Bull. Forensic science has changed drastically since the turn of the millennium. In a previous episode, we heard about what new technology means for the resurgence of the study of biometric traces like fingerprints. This episode is an edited interview with forensic science expert Professor Claude Rowe from the University of Technology, Sydney. He explains the ubiquity of following digital traces in today's criminal investigations. Each time there is a, a big terrorist case, uh, typically like the last one in Belgium, even if I know a fair bit you know, about the field and forensic science, and I'm always amazed how within 24 hours we have a, a number of information about who did it, how they did it, who they are looking for, where they went, where they had their training, to what school they went, etc., etc., and all this in 24 hours. Um, and and it, this is absolutely fascinating in terms of the power of, of, of forensic science and police investigation after the fact. Now, the problem is you can know that within 24 hours when something happens. Now, wouldn't it be nice <laughs> if you could know a bit of that before... So you could basically um, protect and make sure that this thing would never happen or would not happen or minimize it at least. Um, and it's, you know, you've got this huge dichotomy here, you know, it's big asymmetry. And I think that's simply a reflection of the, of the difficulty of making sense of the, the data that is out there and, and being able to treat it appropriately and, and taking the right decisions and the right strategic decisions once, you know, that data um, are, um, are available. Um, so it's why I think forensic science at the stage now, it, it, it's extremely important still to provide perfect, top-notch, you know, very good evidence in court, you know, for court purposes. But we know that by and large, despite a lot of challenges, and I'm not saying it's all perfect and rosy, but uh, by and large, we do that pretty well. Um, and 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 I mean, this example of knowing all that within 24 hours, you know, it's just a typical example. Um, but what we should really um, develop more is the before the fact. Um, and that's right in the court of intelligence, and and um, and in that space, it's clear that um, you know digital media uh, nowadays would play a, a massive role, absolute massive role. Mm-hmm. Um, so perhaps okay. So I'll give you a scenario: some drugs have been seized, and by the police, uh, and. Uh, and and a, a, a digital forensic scientist or science team comes in, what do they look at? Where do they start? You know, what sort of streams of data are they using? 
Okay, I mean, first they would, um, you know, collect any device in in kind of relation to the um, to the seizure, and and as I mentioned, typically now you you know you wouldn't do any investigation without without mobile phone, <laughs> um, so that would be the you know a typical typical type of of, of starting point, um, and but then it depends what they what they find basically. <laughs> Um, you know whether whether there are computers involved, whether they are you know iPhone and iPad, and then first thing would be to recover the data and then cross check the data and make try to see whether they can place the various devices in in time and space, uh, make links between people who are not um, obvious from a physical viewpoint, but maybe all of a sudden obvious in the digital space. Just as a small example about how. Um, digital space is impacting on on this any sorts of investigation um, just imagine missing persons we know that missing persons um, as a topic is, is a quite important topic for a country like Australia um, so there are all you know a lot of people missing and so if you if you go to um, you know to a police station, and to uh, report a missing person, um, it, one of the first questions they would ask you is whether the person has a mobile phone with them. Um, they are not going to ask you to bring brushes or um, or various types, you know, toothbrush or, or whatever you, um, to try to get DNA just in case they f- find the person or worse, you know, remains of the person to try to identify that person based on the DNA at that stage, you know. So the, th- that would be way, way down the track. Um, you know, one of the first questions really, you know, does the person have uh, a mobile phone? Because then that can <laughs> that can help, you know, to, to see where that person might be with all the different, you know, different devices, a lot of options, um, and um, and phone towers, etc. Um and the same thing with you know social media and Facebook and, and things like that. You know the the amount of information investigators can get from a simple Facebook page is quite quite amazing. Um, um, so I think that that really um, you know changed the face of a lot of things we do in forensic science. So when you watch uh, things like CSI or, or, or crime or forensics movies and that sort of stuff, and there's a, a digital episode or a film with a digital focus, uh, what uh, I mean, what do you think? Like, what what are they getting? Particularly, what are they getting wrong? Like, is there anything that really irks you? Look, I, I, I think as a general um, comment, these shows um, it's quite fascinating because I know a lot of. Uh, colleagues would probably poo-poo these shows and, and I'm not a big fan to be honest um, uh, but they tend to have good advisors um, quite a few of the techniques they use uh, across the board um, are, are, um, are quite you know, relevant and, and not that bad really um, where they get it wrong across the board is um, with the timing so everything is way, way, way quicker than it is in, in the real world. Um, it's in the in the um, the result and especially interpretation of the result. Um, you know, it looks like everything is so obvious. Uh, very quickly they have identified someone. 
uh, the person they look for is always on the you know on the database. Um, um, so they go you know they go too far in the interpretation. And and the other thing as well is um, they they tend to have the same people doing everything. You know, and in, including the investigation and including you know r- running after the crooks and 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 we know that it's a it's a very interdisciplinary area and and and, and the, the the process chain is um y- you know is is divided in in different parts uh, so you wouldn't have the same people doing everything. What are the emerging traits of digital forensic science? First, you have the uh, the recovery of data something which is very common and pretty much bread and butter now from people who are doing um, doing forensic science in that space. Typically, it would be to crack to your iPhone and iPad and, and um, you know, trying to get data out of it. And, and to be honest, since probably the early 2000s, you don't see any serious police investigation um, without some kind of analysis of, of these devices. That's a first, um, a first very important topic, and there is an extension to to fields or crime scenes, for example. Say, if someone comes with a warrant to arrest people, now more than likely there will be a computer switched on, there will be an iPad or an iPod somewhere, and then the question immediately, as in good old forensic science, you want to make sure that you you, you secure the traces and you recognize what you want to collect and make sure that it's not tampered with or, or, or destroyed. So you've got exactly the same thing here. So what, what do you do? You know, If you've got a computer that is switched on, you have to make sure that the person who is being arrested, for example, is not going to switch off the computer or, or, or change something there. So there is a whole, what we used to call you know, evidence collection and, and you know the whole evidence protection that we had in the good old crime scene like you see on CSI now you, you see exactly the same sort of principles in, in, in the digital so that's another important topic at, at the front end of the process then a, a big issue is uh, is really about uh, identity as I mentioned before if you log on you know on your computer nowadays or even iPhone you know you need to put some kind of username and password that's linked to an identity now um, the weak the weak link here is the link between the digital identity and the physical identity and a lot of people um, have now more than one identities because um, you know you may have a lot of different devices you may have a lot of uh, users of username and passwords and personally you know I get completely lost and cranky because all 10,000 types of passwords I need for all the different <laughs> things I have to do, even professionally or, or, or you know, in my private life. Everyone knows these sort of issues, but that's an interesting topic because uh, it means the concept of identity itself is becoming more and more complex with the digital age compared to what it used to be before. Um, you know, because before you had one identity, you know, you may have a couple of aliases maiden name, um, these sort of situations, people could change name, but basically you had one identity, roughly speaking, one ID, password, or driver's license, and, and that's it. While, while now everyone has a, a number of identities depending on their usage, uh, and that creates a more complex, uh, more complex issue. So the identity is, a, is another topic, so people try to uh, identify who did something 
with a device or um, or with a computer. And then the next level, which again is very analogous to what we see in the physical space, is what we call activity. So in the physical space, uh, a lot of the interpretation of forensic evidence, for example, a lot of the questions relate to the activity. If you've got glass on your jumper, um, does it mean simply you were playing with glass and doing some kind of craft? Or, or whether does it mean that you just went to commit a break and enter and smash the window? Uh, the same thing with gunshot residues. If you've got particles that are identified as gunshot residues, does it mean that you fired a gun or have been a, you know, in relation to a gun very just a few moments before? Or whether you have other legitimate reasons to get these particles on you? Uh, or whether you were doing some activities that may lead to um, particles which look like gunshot residues? So I know in the digital space, it's very similar. Basically, tracing back and trying to reconstruct what a person has done using traces. I love that term, trace. It's quite an interesting term because a lot of people in forensic science over the years have used the term evidence. Evidence is a misnomer. It's not a very good term because evidence, it means that it's been presented in court and accepted as evidence in court. So when people with a crime scene collect fingerprints or when people in a, you know, on a computer collect a log file, they are not evidence at that stage. They are just traces of an identity and an activity. So these traces are used to reconstruct basically what could have happened and what happened. That's the other big, big thing around digital forensic science. Now, obviously, you've got a lot of other emerging fields related to more security, You've got areas which are pretty much the crossover between digital and physical, typically CCTV footages, people trying to identify people based on, you know, what you can find on, you know, security footages. This has, you know, some challenges. In terms of convictions, what has been the most useful type of digital evidence? One thing that has been developed and has been... um, very powerful over the years is all these uh, triangulations of um, of mobile phone um, towers. So basically, essentially placing a mobile phone in a in location. Um, and now with GPS and all sorts of other things, you can imagine it's becoming more and more. And and then you've got the whole the the, the whole gamut. But but the thing to understand is um, quite often in court. Um, you know, although the media and television shows they, they love to you know portray one thing, and um, you know, and we know we've, there has been the kind of DNA frenzy and etc. Um, most of the time, it's a it, it, it's a combination. You know, it's a combination of of traces and then evidence combined with um, information from the, the investigation, and it's how this kind of information is presented. In court, and it, it, it's where the challenge is, uh, whether it's digital or physical. The big challenge is scientists and technologists are um, are very good at working with hard data, you know, hard information. Is big data useful in forensics? 
Yes, I mean, it, it, you know, uh, it depends on the definitions here, but I mean, there is a whole area um, that is um, really emerging as, as a very significant area for forensic science. It's uh, forensic intelligence. And I guess people interested in the technology and, and the analytical side of, of that space, they will claim it's just big data, um, which is true when you come from the analytical side. But uh, I mean, I mean, for me, it's more than big data. It's more like it's more like a big data can is used to um, address questions um, about forensic science and forensic intelligence. Um, so I'll give you an example. Um, so um, by for, forensic intelligence, you just the best way to do, to identify that is probably to give an, an analogy. If you um, if you go to your GP and you feel unwell and you give a bit of your story and there are a few symptoms and the GP would um, go through a hypothetical um, deductive process, which is very similar to what we do in forensic science for the diagnostic. Um, and the, the GP may send you to do some few tests, few more tests, you know, etc. Um, this is very similar to a one-off single investigation. Now, if during the same day or the same couple of days you've got, um, you know, 10 or 20 people coming to see the GP with exactly the same symptoms and they all live in the same area, maybe they all share the same kitchen or bathroom, I'm just exaggerating here, but you see where I'm going at, um, a good GP would be able to join the dots between all these cases and say, oh, hang on, I've got a big, you know, picture here. Um, so there is something emerging, um, and it's not just a one-off case, um, but it's more and more important, and it's a it's a public health issue. Um, so I have to to act on that side. Um, so forensic intelligence is the same sort of you know it's very analogous to that. Um, so you don't treat cases independently and individually, uh, but you have a multi-case approach. Um, you don't try to to catch the criminal, to use that phrase, um, but you try to make links and understand what's going on and understand the problem to then feed um, processes um, on the security uh, and the policing side and maybe down the track uh, court side. Um, and and how how we do that, uh, you know, uh, it's it's looking at um, you know a, a lot of different data coming from different sources. So to give you a typical example, we've done a, a, a lot of research at UTS on in the space of drug intelligence. So by that, um, I mean you can have chem, you know forensic chemists doing drug analysis, and they analyze powders, they analyze you know tablets, and you know, they will tell you what drugs it, it is, you know, purity, and, and it's done in routine to essentially for prosecution purposes. Um, we are not really interested in that. Um, what we're interested in is house data like that, plus maybe data coming from um, what kind of information we can get from uh, the internet or darknet. Um, which I'm sure a lot of people would know, which is sort of an eBay of people who want to do things w without being traced and they can buy and sell drugs or even order a hitman or, or things like that. Um, and then we can also combine that information with information from, um, from wastewater analysis. 
Um, so where we can analyze drugs and metabolites of drugs in different types of, of wastewater plants. Uh, so we get information about the consumption. We have information about uh, where people consume the most, what they consume, and you know, and, and again, more from a public health perspective and security perspective rather than one of prosecutions. Um, and it's this combination of a of all these little pictures of a very complex picture or whole movie uh, that we try to put together and then try to understand um, understand the problem first and then that information can feed um, you know stakeholders who you know have to try to address the you know the, the issue um, so it's a, it's a very fascinating field because it's kind of the crossover between big data um, social science and and hard forensic science uh, because you need you need to have all the I guess hard science skills to um, do some of these analysis and get a sense of what it's, it's all about but in the same time you have to have access to um, you know to um, um, IT specialists and and social scientists as well to make sense of the whole thing um, in, in in some countries, they had great success by combining, for example, data about um, um, shoe marks. So you, most people would know watching CSI. You know, if you walk somewhere, you leave some some shoe marks. Um, the problem with shoe mark is um, you can collect these marks, but if you don't have um, a person of interest with a potential shoe coming up, being identified relatively quickly. Um, what what do you do with this shoe mark? You know, you're not going to be able to do a comparison. And after some time, the person will, you know, completely wear out the the, the soles, and the shoe would change. Uh, so the shoe marks would change, and, and you know, it's pretty much lost. So from that perspective, it's not a very efficient type of 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 of, um, of trace in forensic science because statistics show. 97% of the cases, you collect shoe mark and you don't do anything with it because you don't have a shoe coming up. But you can look at it in a different way. And you can say, now we're not going to use these shoe marks to do comparison and identify a shoe, but maybe try to make clusters of the type of, of mark, the type of tread pattern, um, and then try to combine that information with um, you know di- different scenes, different fields. Uh, so, say, if you look at, say, break and enters, um, so you, you can see then all of a sudden clusters of the same tread pattern around the same suburb uh, for a period of time. And then you can look at um, the timing and then you realize that actually um, the same tread pattern comes up uh, for break and enters that are always committed around 6 p.m. in winter. Um, in that geographical area. So you see, you get to that sort of profiling, you know, more and more kind of accurate profiling. And then you realize that um, this thread pattern is moving along to the next suburb. Um, and then you realize that all the houses that are uh, broken into maybe are close to a, a station, to a railway station. Um, so then when you get all this information... You know, um, you've got plenty of information here that then can be used strategically to act upon it and say, now, what's next? So maybe we can move resources um, 
and and maybe you know catch people in the act and and then instead of solving one case you solve a whole a whole series of cases um or maybe you can put um you know put technical um devices or different types of uh, um of options to try to minimize the risk um or disrupt the activity, which is another big thing for in forensic intelligence. The the aim is not necessarily to to catch you know uh, the people. It, it it's really to understand the problem, act upon it, and and um, and sometimes it's just disrupting the activity. Um, so that's a you know you, you've got all these different sources of data and information that you put together. Um, so it's an interesting, an interesting emerging field, and and uh, it's probably um, um, kind of a back to the future for forensic science, because it's what without the IT side of it, it was what forensic science used to be 100 years ago or even more, but then we we moved so far because of the technology on on the chemistry and biology, we moved so far, um, you know, towards the traditional laboratory. Um, and now we realize that um, actually that becomes less and less efficient, uh, more and more costly. People start to ask questions about the value of all that. Um, and, and, and slowly we see that actually if we go back to what it used to be, but now using modern technology in terms of um, IT systems that can help to cross all these different types of information, it makes the whole field much more much much more efficient. That was Claude Rowe, director of the UTS Centre for Forensic Science. You've been listening to Think Digital Futures, where we tell you stories from the digital age. Subscribe to our podcast through iTunes or any other podcasting app. This program has been a collaboration between UTS and 2SER. Thanks to our executive producer, Miles Martignoni. I'm Lawrence Bull. Talk to you next time.
Yeah. <laughs>